So Job, unbeknownst to Job, Satan had challenged God and told God that the only reason Job follows him is because of the fact that God has not, that God blessed him and was not going to take away the blessings, but if the blessings were removed, Job would uh, flee away from God, curse him to his face, and die. Can you imagine telling that to God? If you remove Geo's blessings, this guy Geo is going, will curse you to your face. That's what, that is what Satan told God. And so um, he doesn't know, Job doesn't know that though, but the blessings are taken away, but much more than that, he was greatly afflicted. I was thinking about the song that we just sang, Your Goodness is Running After Me. Your goodness is running after, is running after me. Can you imagine, it is true that, you know, we, we're blessed when we sing that, but remember, many people have those lyrics in front of them and they're singing them and they're in the midst of great trial. So how is that true? It's, it's biblical, by the way. Your goodness is running after me. Uh, among many other places, Psalm 23, uh, your mercy will follow me. But this follow me is uh, not, it, it doesn't do justice to the Hebrew. It's, it's more, it, it, it vigorously pursues me. Your goodness, will pers- mercy will pursue me all the days of my life, David says. But when you're in the midst of it, uh, of something like Job, his ten kids had died, all his possessions gone, and his body covered with sickness. What? Your goodness is following me? This is a real trial, a reality that every one of you is going to face if you haven't already faced it. Like, how, how do we um, how do we reconcile that? with the trial that we're in, the goodness of God. And so that's, Job's in the middle of that. He has uh, three guys who are uh, trying to, uh, he has three guys who are, are trying to convince him basically to repent because their theology was so incredibly shallow. It was bad things happen to bad things, bad people, good things happen to good people, and bad things are happening to you, so obviously you're bad. You need to repent so you can be good. And by the way, that is basically the theology of the world, <laughs> apart from Jesus Christ, apart from Christianity. That this, it's this sort of superstitious thing. But we know um, from the Bible that that is uh, not true many, many times. Uh, and it, even in the life of the most righteous person walking with God, there are going to be tremendous trials from time to time. And so we're, we pick things up in the middle with, with Job where he himself is uh, questioning the Lord. And remember from the beginning, I've just been reminding you, 
the devil's involved in lying to Job because the devil would like to see an end to all of this. And that end is Job cursing God to his face. And so he's, through these three people, these three men, Satan has been trying to undermine who God is to these men. And he partially succeeds. He doesn't fully succeed. Job never curses God to God's face. But he does start saying things about God and his relationship with God that are not true. So, uh, uh, so this continues. In chapter 24, uh, verse 1, Job says, Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know him see not his days? And so, why do those who know the Lord, why, I, I think what it's talking about there, why do they don't see his days, meaning the fullness, the abundant life. Jesus promises the abundant life in John 10.10. 10. And Job is saying, why do those who know him well not see his goodness? Verse 2, some remove landmarks. They seize flocks violently and feed on them. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow pledge from the poor. They cause the poor to go naked without clothing. They take away the sheaves from the hungry. They press out oil within their walls and tread wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The dying groan in the city, the souls of the wounded cry out, yet God does not charge them with wrong. So what he said, these first 12 verses, is the wicked do all these terrible things. Starting with verse 2, they remove landmarks, meaning and in those days, they, you, didn't, uh, you didn't submit a title to City Hall with the exact boundaries of your property. You had landmarks, and the wicked would change those landmarks and say, oh no, yeah, you see, look, this is my land here. And, and then he just goes through uh, all kinds of things that the wicked do. They drive, drive away the donkey of the fatherless, verse 3. They, verse 4, they push the needy off the road, verse 5, um, uh, 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 to the point where, um, like wild donkeys in the desert, the, they push the poor off to, to, to start searching for food. And, and, and verse 10, they cause the poor to go naked, and God does not charge them with wrong. And so, here, when I said before that Satan's actually getting some mileage with Job, this is what I'm talking about. He is questioning the goodness of God. He's questioning the justice of God. And it's greatly discouraging him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Satan has robbed Job of his joy with the thought that the wicked are out there doing terrible things and God's not doing anything about it. Of course, we know in light of the fact that we have this Bible which Job did not have, he may have had some oral history of like the first, I don't know, 12 chapters of Genesis I'm sure he knew about Adam and Eve. I'm sure he knew about Cain and Abel. 
but he didn't have this Bible. But we, what, what we know this, we know John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, meaning they're storing up wrath. We know the wicked is storing up wrath. We look out at the wicked and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of wickedness um, uh, going on. I've just been, man, reading about all the enemies of the uh, uh, of Putin and how they just uh, managed to be either killed or isolated or jailed. And, and, and it's really, uh, you can look at it, well, he is storing up the wrath of God on him. And we know that from the Bible. In Romans chapter 1, which by the way is just such an incredibly important chapter in the Bible, it says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, meaning anyone who persists in evil doing, they are storing up wrath. But Job doesn't have the benefit of this book he, he doesn't even have the benefit we have of history and seeing a whole history of evil eventually being vanquished. I love that word. Meaning, uh, you know, evil being destroyed by God. We have a, a whole long history of that. He doesn't have the benefit of that. He's just noticing something that a lot, people can do evil for decades. We talked last week about Joseph Mengele. I'm sure you don't want me to repeat what I said last week of what that guy did in the concentration camps. But he died in old age, basically, in hiding. No one ever found him. They spent, I think, millions of dollars looking for him. And he died a, a relatively uh, well-off man. And so, you know, why, why does this happen? This is, this is what Job is just saying. All the wicked do these things and God does nothing. And of course, what he's saying is, I have not done those things. And yet I'm being punished. What is wrong? What, what's up with this song that they're going to write 5,000 years from now? The, Your goodness is running after, running after me. Well, what's up with that? You know, it, 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 in other words. I, remember, I was a history major in college, and one of the... Um, <laughs> One of the, 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 the courses that I took to graduate was historiography, which um, is basically theories of history. And um, like, this is basically secular man trying to figure out like, what, how, when we look at the history of, of the world, um, how do what are some different theories of how to look at it from a historical perspective? And I just remember, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I just remember there was one theory that said there seems to be a pattern that when evil rises up, it's crushed. This is secular history. This is just one theory of history. And, and they would just go through, uh, th there seems to be this pattern that what is right in the long term succeeds, and, and what is um, bad in the long term seems to be crushed. And if you look at history, it's true. But 
Of course, Job doesn't have even the benefit of that. He says in verse 12, yet God does not charge them with wrong. He does. The wrath of God is being stored up against, against them. And again, Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed, is being stored up against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Verse 13, they, there are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its ways, nor abide in its paths. The murderer rises with the light. He kills the poor and needy, and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will ever see me, and he disguises his faith. In the dark they break into houses, which they marked for themselves in the daytime. They do not know the light, for the morning is the same to them as the shadow of death. If someone recognizes them, they are in the terrors of the shadow of death. They should be swift on the face of the waters. Their portion should be cursed in the earth so that no one would turn into the way of their vineyards as drought and heat consume the snow waters so the grave consumes those who have sinned. The womb should forget them. The worm should feed sweetly on them. He should be remembered no more and wickedness should be broken like a tree. So in case you didn't notice, what he's saying is this is what should be happening with the wicked, but it's not. In other words, the womb should forget him, meaning his wife should bear no uh, children. Or if the woman is wicked, she should bear no children. Uh, verse, uh, next in verse 20, the worm should feed sweetly on him, meaning he should die, get in the ground. He should be killed immediately because of his sin, and worms should start feeding on him because of his sin. He should be remembered no more, meaning um, he shouldn't grow rich and famous, and people are talking about him for decades because he's evil. Um, it, but, but again, Job has come up with this sense of, of, of reality that's wrong and so important when you are in a fog discouraged, your, your joy is being taken away because of your thought life that you turn to the Word of God. We are getting to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone want to, anyone know what that is? Off the top of your head, Philippians 4, 8, famous, famous, famous verse. Uh, no, <laughs> not rejoice, but that's a very good guess. Joy, that three-letter word. No, right, exactly. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's excellent, whatever's good reports, and it goes on. Think about those things. So if you're thinking negative thoughts, go into the Word of God and just dump in the Word of God and replace the negative thinking with whatever's good, whatever's um, of good report. Uh, um, again, memorize it for March 13 or whatever the date is. Uh, great verse 8 for uh, uh, chapter 4 for Scripture Memory Day. Whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good report, what, if there's any virtue, any, anything praiseworthy. Meditate on those things. Now, he is obviously meditating on things now. He's meditating. 
People say, you probably heard me say this before, Pastor Steve, you're telling me to meditate on the Word of God. I don't know how to meditate. Oh, yes, you do. Anytime you get anxious and worry, that's what you do. You're meditating. You know, you're thinking about... Um, uh, the, the, jo- the, the, the people at your co-workers making up lies about you, you're thinking about that every single angle, how they're wrong. You're meditating on it. But, 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 but Philippians 4.8 says, no, meditate on what is good. Meditate on the Word of God. Job is not doing that. Satan's having a feast on him, but he's not going to succeed in getting Job to curse God to his face. Verse 22, but God draws the mighty away with his power. He rises up, but no man is sure of life. He gives them security and they rely on it, yet his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while, then they are gone. They are brought low, they are taken out of the way like all others. They dry out like the heads of grain. So verses 22 through 24, this is a little different. This is almost like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like life is meaningless type of, um, type of philosophy. Uh, man's exalted for a little while, then they're gone, they're brought low, they're taken out of the way, they dry out like heads of grain, meaning life is, has no meaning, has no purpose. Um, verse 25, now if it is not so, who will prove me a liar and make my speech worth nothing. So then he gives them a challenge. There's these three guys with them. Um, uh, chapter 25, Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, so Job challenges him, challenges them, and so this guy speaks up. And this is the last we're going to hear from these three guys. There's going to be a fourth guy come along um, who we're going to read about eventually. But these three guys, after this, they give up. I don't know whether they go away. Um, I actually heard, uh, preparing for this, um, the idea that there may have been a crowd of people around listening to this dialogue. And it actually does make sense that there would have been more, but I'd never even thought of that before. I just thought of Job suffering, these three guys and no one else around. But there may be many people listening. Verse 2, Bildad the Shuhat. Dominion and fear belong to him, God, that's true. He makes peace in his high places, that's true. Is, is there any number to his armies? That's true. There's no number. Upon whom does his light not rise? That's true. His light rises on everyone. How then can man be righteous before God? That's true. Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? Well, that's true too. If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm? That's all true. The problem is it has nothing to do with Job's issue. Job's issue is not that God is, is almighty, whether or not God is almighty. He knows about the power of God. Job's issue is not that man is nothing compared to God, that's not his issue. His issue is why when he is so powerful and good, if he's powerful and he's good, I believe he's powerful, but if he's good and just why is he not doing anything for me? So chapter 26, he says, but Job answered and said, 
how have you helped him who is without power? Meaning he's talking to these three guys. In the next few verses, he's just going to say, you guys haven't helped me at all. How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? How have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words and whose spirit came from you? Meaning, you guys have not done anything to help me. And so we're not going to hear from these guys anymore. At the very end, the God is going to go to Job and say, you need to do a sacrifice for your three friends because if you don't, I'm going to have to, my wrath is going to have to come on top of them. But we don't see anything more from these three guys. And before we move on, I, 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 I do think that it's good to talk about where they failed, these three guys. Number one. So, they, so you, you all are going to be talking with someone who's a believer in Christ, if not in the next few days, certainly in the next few weeks. What can you learn from what these guys did or what they did not do. Number one, they never expressed sympathy or love for him. Not one time did they say to him, I am so sorry for what has happened to you. I'm so sorry. I remember years ago, as many years ago, uh, this 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 man was um, had been terrible to his wife, and his wife left him. And I was speaking to him, and he called me after, and he said, "You know, never once did you tell me this is really a terrible thing that happened to you." Because all I could get in my mind was this guy had been terrible to his wife, but it's still awful that it's still awful what happened to him. And I, he said, you never even told me that. And, and I, I'll never forget that. And I learned from that conversation, even if someone has totally reaped what they've sown, it's important to express sympathy and compassion for them. No matter how bad their crime has been. When they reap what they've sown, meaning when they're, the, all the consequences just come upon them, it's so important to say, I'm so sorry all this has happened to you. Now, of course, God's, there's another side of that, right? God's chastening is a good thing and this kind of thing. But we need to have compassion on people. In Job's case... He had never done anything wrong and they didn't express sympathy. Uh, and so, so important that you express sympathy, which can include, by the way, been talking about the, a lot those three, that three-letter word joy, but there's, another, there's also that three-word phrase, I love you. Of course, it depends upon what your relationship with the person is, but sometimes it's just good to tell someone who 
has, who has in, in a huge trial, they need to hear, I love you. You never hear that. You never hear that from these guys. Any, uh, if, you don't love, if, you, if you don't have that kind of relationship with them, you can still tell them how, much, how grateful you are for them or, or something like that. They didn't express sympathy, number one. Number two, just basic encouragement. They never encouraged him in any way. They never said, we, we talked about last week being a citizen of heaven last Sunday. Which means that you, it, it, if you're talking to a believer and they're a citizen of heaven, you can tell them, you have a great king. Malachi 1.14, you have a great king. Deuteronomy 33.27, God has you over his everlasting arms. You can cling to him for your own comfort like a baby clings to their father or mother, but rest assured whether you're clinging to him or not, he, his arms are underneath you. The Bible says he's a shield about you. Again, I read Psalm 63 in, in, in church on, on Sunday. Uh, my soul clings to you. This is the NIV, not the New King James. But your right hand upholds me. And so, encouraging someone, just telling them God is faithful. It, it may, you may not be able to think of any other thing to tell them. You can tell them God is faithful. They never encouraged this man. I use, ever since our, uh, our study on Philippians 1.21, which is um, to live is Christ, I've just been encouraging people with that, no matter how bad things get. I was talking today someone who just had... Someone very dear to them in their immediate family passed away and they, 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 they also lost their job. I, I'm able to tell someone, even in something like that, to live as Christ, meaning Christ is in this situation. Christ is in this situation. To live as Christ. So they never, ever encouraged him. Number two, Number, uh, rather, number three, they never prayed for him. Not once do you see these guys praying. You know, this may seem obvious to you, but yet I find when I'm in these situations where someone is, is under great affliction, there's almost a resistance, a spiritual resistance to saying, can I pray for you? I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, that there's almost like a resistance to just saying, can I pray for you? That's the reason there's a spiritual resistance is because there is, there's a demonic resistance to try to keep the person just trapped with the demonic lies in their head. Uh, and, and so important that we pray. 
and that we pray with boldness. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 17, Elijah was a man with uh, passions just like yours and mine. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And you're no different than Elijah. You can pray for that person who is in great suffering. It's, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is it's very sad when someone has a great desire to pray and they pray a lot, but they don't know the Word of God. And this happens a lot in certain church circles where the Word of God is emphasized a lot. Uh, rather, the other way around. Prayer is emphasized a lot, but the Word of God is not. There's lots of prayer, lots of tears, lots of crying out. Let me tell you, the effectiveness of your prayer before the Lord, but also your effectiveness to the person you're praying for, will increase a hundredfold if you're praying the Word of God to them. If you're pray, Lord, I pray for my sister here. Your word says to live is Christ. Show her what that means. Show her that you are in the situation. Show her. And, and, and prayer without the word of God, it's, I won't say it's totally shallow, but it's, it's just weak. But you never see these guys praying for Job. When you encounter someone who is uh, who is uh, in, in, in great distress, ask them to pray. Now, I also would suggest even if the person's an unbeliever. I, I, I ran into someone the other day who's com they've completely rejected God and like years ago and uh, even though they grew up in a Christian family and they've just been in years and years of trial. And I said, well, can I pray for you? And they kind of smirked. And I said, well, why not? Just pray for me. And a good thing to pray in that kind of situation is, Lord, I pray that you will show your hand to this brother so clearly just in the next week or even the next 24 hours. So when God shows up, and does something really, really clear, they're going to know that they've been rejecting God. Or even if the person has never been a Christian, it's a great thing to do to pray for them. It's hard, because you're like, oh no. It's kind of like witnessing with someone. It's like, oh, I'm scared to do this. They're going to think I'm a freak. Well, if they're an unbeliever, and they may even be a stranger, who you just run into, Ask him to pray. That's a hard thing. But do it, Calvary Chapel. Do it. Say, can I pray for you? And this is what you pray, among other things. Pray that God would show his hand really, really, really clear just in the next few days. Because when it happens, that person's going to remember your prayer and they're going to be like, whoa. <laughs> Maybe I should consider the Lord these guys never did that. They never prayed. Not even once did they pray. In Galatians, uh, we were 
Remember, before Philippians, we were in Galatians, and I think we may have spent a whole sermon on Galatians 6.2, which is, bear one another's burdens. And one of the ways that you do that is praying for them. You bear their burden by praying for them. They will be released. They will feel lightness after you pray for them. They will feel the burden taken off of them. They bear one another's burdens. In other words, you put that burden on your soul and you cry out to God. Remember, is it Habakkuk? It says the burden of the prophet Habakkuk at the very beginning of Habakkuk, meaning he had this burden on them, on him for the people of Israel, and he cried out to God. And, and bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. You're with this person in all this pain, and you just, the Bible says, weep with those who weep. You, you take on their burden and you cry out to God. These guys never did that. So, uh, we don't hear from them again, and Job continues to speak Again, he's been spiritually weakened significantly because Satan has used these people. Satan will always use the weakest person around you, particularly weak Christians. He'll use weak Christians in your life to, to taunt you. Satan will more than he will use anyone from the world. And he uses these three people um, to... And these, by the way, they're, they're not Christians because Jesus Christ hasn't lived yet, but they are people of God. You will almost certainly see them in heaven. The reason I say that is because they are followers of God. Otherwise, God would not tell Job at the end of the book, you need to do an offering for these people. <laughs> so, I, you know, these guys are, we're learning from them. They're making terrible mistakes, but... They are Christians, not called Christians yet, but they're followers of God. Satan always uses the weak Christians in your life to do the most damage. That's been my experience. And um, if you look at Paul and the people who tormented him, it was all often it was religious people. And same with Jesus, by the way. Verse five: The dead tremble; those under the waters and those inhabiting them. And Sheol is naked for him. Destruction has no covering. So what Job's going to do now is he's going to speak just himself about the power of God. Of course, he's wondering if God is so powerful, why is he not doing anything for me? So it's a little unclear to me whether he is drawing comfort from his own words here, talking about the power of God, or he's just complaining, talking about the power of God if he's so powerful why is he not doing anything for me? Verse 7, he stretched out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Now how did Job know this? This is 5,000 years ago. That the earth is on... I live in a street called Iroquois Street. Anyone know what, the, anyone know what Iroquois is? Shout it out. What's that? That's right. It's a tribe of Native Americans who lived right around in this area, and they believed that the world was on, uh, the, that that the world uh, 
was on top of a turtle, and the turtle would carry them around. I, I, you know, I'm not mocking them. I'm just, you know, other, other civilizations believe that the, I think more in the east, um, eastern part of the world, that the, that the world was on top of elephants and these type of things. Uh, and you can imagine why primitive man would think of things like that. You know, it's clear that something's moving because why are the stars moving and stuff? Well, it's on top of a turtle or... Uh, or elephants, or on top of something that's moving. But Job here says, no, the earth hangs on nothing. So he has that kind of revelation. He binds up the water in thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. Like, how does water stay up there and it doesn't come down? He covers the face of the throne and spreads his cloud over it. Remember, he's talking about the power of God. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. And so, he's talking about the power of God. When you are discouraged, one of the great things to do is go to one of the Psalms, or even this chapter, and just consider how powerful God is. It's an encouraging thing to do. It's an encouraging thing to your soul. Verse 12, he stirs up the sea with his power, and by his understanding, he breaks up the storm. And by his spirit, he adorned the heavens. So he, he put all the stars, the billions of stars. This is God. And, 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 and again, back to Philippians 4, 8. Whatever's good. Think about, meditate on those things. One of the things to just meditate on is the power of God. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. Meaning he's so powerful, I can't even begin to understand his great power. And how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? He's speaking about the, the power of God. Moreover, Job continued discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my justice. And so right there, he's believing a lie of the devil. And this, you know, this stuff is really real. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm involved in you know, different ministries outside of our church, and I'm right in the middle of this heartbreaking controversy where there's... Uh, I've got to be careful with my wording all the time. Uh, so there's, there's this, this one church and this person has left this church and they've teamed up with another person and they are, and I know these people very well. So it has, no one has nothing to do with Calvary Chapel in the city, but I know them very well. And they're coming against their former church and they're doing great damage. Literally, people are being physically affected. And by that, their health is being affected by the damage that these people do. These two guys are doing. And the, these two guys, um, I'm right in the middle of this right now, by the way. <laughs> Phone calls and things like that, meetings. These two guys, there's a couple others who are in 
these two guys' lives who really have the capacity to do something about it, but these two guys are just lying to him, just lying. And I can see it, everyone can see it, but the two guys who are being lied to, in fairness to them, they don't know. And this has been going on for a whole year, and it's heartbreaking, and it's causing enormous amount of, and, and sometimes, and sometimes I just flush out. <laughs> I just flush out instead of just resting, believing. And, and by the way, things are going on, <laughs> moving slowly. Speaking, of, well, I won't say it. Um, I got to be careful of my tongue, my flesh. But the, the, it. it, it we're trying to work on a solution. It's going a lot slower than I myself would like. But I just got to remember, God is just. He knows what he's doing. He's going to expose what is wrong. But it's hard when you're right in the middle and people are getting really hurt. But Job here is saying, God has taken away my justice. Lie, 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 lie. John chapter 8, when Satan speaks, he speaks, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language. That's Jesus speaking, by the way. When Satan lies, he speaks his native language. And what these guys have done, they've undermined, the last thing you want to do, Calvary Chapel, is to undermine someone's view of the Lord and, and start to make their biblical worldview crumble because of what you say. Better to keep your mouth shut than go there. And, and, and he's thinking, God has taken away my justice. That's wrong, 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 Job. Job eventually is going to find that out. The Almighty has made my soul bitter. Wrong, 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 wrong. He's, he's believing a lie. Now, it could be said that the, the Lord allowed it to happen. The Lord did tell Satan, okay, do what you're doing. But the purpose was not to make his soul bitter. Verse 3, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. Now, I, I talked about this last week. This is very encouraging to me. And I'm just going to say it again. And if you were here, I apologize. A thousand apologies. But your faith is indestructible. That's what the Bible teaches. This is an example. He says, as long as I have my faith, Job says, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God is in me, I'm not going to speak wickedness and I, my tongue is not going to utter deceit, meaning I'm not going to forsake God. The guy who's lost his 10 kids, all his property, his wife comes up to him and says, why don't you curse God and die? His wife he has no health, but he says, I just know that there's a God and I'm not going to just turn to wickedness. Your faith is indestructible. By grace you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. You better be thankful it's a gift of God because if you manufactured your own faith, that is destructible. <laughs> when we manufacture our own faith in a God, that's, that's very... Um, that is, that, that's, that's shallow, breakable, corruptible, 
and it's not indestructible. It is destructible. But your faith, when the Bible says, Ephesians 2.8, such an important verse, you, all of you should have this by memory. By grace, you're saved. And that faith is not of your own. It's the gift of God. And because your faith is the gift of God, it's indestructible. Satan can't destroy it. Lies can't destroy it. The world can't destroy it. The world can come against you. Just all those crazy worldviews coming across the media, they're not going to destroy your faith. Just look at the book of Job. Job is a great book. You know, we talked about it on week one. People don't want to read the book of Job because if you read the book of Job, then all the stuff is going to happen to you which is silly, but that's what we think of if the first time or two you read the book of Job. I'm going to stay away from this book. In actuality, what this book is, it's just so essential to do life. And one of the things that you read is, wow, this guy never lost his faith. He says, as long as there's breath in me, Verse 3, verse 4, I will not speak what is wicked. Verse 5, far be it from me that I should say you are right. Now he's talking to these guys. um, Till I die, I will not put my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let, uh, let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. So the other thing that's going on is he's just in spite of the fact that they are condemning him, he's just not going to agree with the accusation. Satan will try to accuse you of so many things that are not true. Psalm 25, verse 21 says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you, Lord. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, I know many of you are familiar with this. Just put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, to stand against the devil. The whole armor of God. And he says in verse 12, because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't wrestle against, your problems aren't humans. That human in front of you is lying about you, is cursing you, stabbing you in the back. That's not your problem. Verse 12, it's the principalities, powers, rulers of this dark age, spiritual hosts of wickedness. It's the devil. The devil is your problem. Therefore, verse 13 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God. And one of them is the breastplate of righteousness. And why is that important to have in your battle against the devil? The breastplate of righteousness. Let me first explain what that is. It's really two, th- two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's in Christ you become righteous in the eyes of God. That's on one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin is you have a clear conscience because the breastplate of righteousness, you're not walking in wickedness, you're not walking in sin, you're not walking according to the flesh. You have a clear conscience, the breastplate of righteousness. One of the important 
reasons why you shouldn't go out and sin and flesh out and lie and cheat is because whenever you're in sin of any kind, Satan is going to be condemning you and keeping you low and keeping you away from God and keeping you away from church. And I can't go to church. They're all, everyone's like Geo. They're perfect. That's what people say. But, but it's, it's, it's uh, you know, there'll be, they'll be believing lies like that. Not that Geo's not perfect. But, um, but the breastplate of righteousness is a very important thing that I'm not in sin, and therefore I have a clear conscience, and Satan can't, can't condemn me of this, 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 and this. I mean, if you're, you're, you're on the time clock and you're putting in eight hours when you've really done six hours a few times a week, the devil's going to be hounding you about that. And it's just going to bring you low. So verse 6, he's got the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness. He says, my righteousness I hold fast and I will not let go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. Meaning, his heart's not going to, repro- he's not going to condemn himself for stuff he didn't do. Remember that. I love that, the breastplate of righteousness. Two sides of a coin. Verse 7, May my enemy be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much, if God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? You know, it's true. The Bible does say that someone who is in sin and in wickedness their, their prayers, they, have a, they, they can never have any expectation of answered prayer. Now, it's always possible God will have mercy on someone when they cry out to him, even though they're in a place of wickedness. But there can be no expectation of answered prayer when you are in sin or if an unbeliever is in sin. Verse 11, I will teach you about the hand of God with what is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with such complete nonsense? So he's talking to these guys again. Talking to these three guys. Why do you behave with complete nonsense? This is the portion of a wicked man with God. And the heritage of oppressors receive the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. And his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. It's weird because he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth because in a couple previous chapters, remember, he was going on and on about how the wicked's children, they just prosper and how the wicked always prosper. But again, written in stream of conscience, he's just talking about whatever comes into his head. He goes from saying things that seem to be spirit-led to his flesh. And he just goes back and forth. And as a reader, you need to be trained um, in what is what. Job is not an easy book always to read because he goes back and forth between saying things that really appear that like they're from the lips of God to the lips of the, the man of the flesh. Verse 15, those who survive him shall be buried in death and their widows shall not weep. Though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing, 
like clay. He may pile it up, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth which a watchman makes. The rich men will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens his eyes, and he is no more. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against him, and he does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. So I don't know what to make of the last seven or eight verses he just seems to have, uh, he, he seems to be just venting at this point. His flesh just seems to be, he, he's gone from saying the wicked seem to prosper all the time and their children and their children's children and God does nothing to saying what's wrong with God, um, rather to saying the, the, the wicked are judged immediately, and therefore, why am I being judged? And so, uh, <laughs> this, this, is, this is what happens. Chapter 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth. Copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death, he breaks open a shaft away from people. So he's talking about people who go down under the earth and mine for, and, and mine for precious metals. He, verse 14, he breaks open a shaft away from people in places forgotten by feet. They hang far away from men. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, from it comes bread but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the source of sapphires, and it contains gold dust. That path no bird knows, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. So it's the birds and everyone above the earth, they don't realize that underneath these places that these guys are going in a mine, they're pulling up gold, diamonds, sapphires in these unknown places, Verse 8, the proud lion have not trodden it, the fierce lion over it. He puts his face on the flint. He overturns the mountains at its roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams from trickling. What is hidden he brings forth to light. So again, it's talking about these great these incredibly great treasures that are, that are far beneath the earth. By the way, very interesting that 5,000 years ago, this stuff, this stuff was going on. They're digging tunnels beneath the earth. They're, they're mining for diamonds. This didn't happen with South Africa, De Beers Company in just the 20th century. This, is way, <laughs> this has been going on for thousands of years. Um, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? So this is kind of poetic. What he's saying here is people can go beneath the earth. They can go through incredible amount of trouble, damming up streams underneath the earth and the shafts and find um, diamonds and sapphires. But what about wisdom? What about wisdom? Like, because I 
don't have the wisdom. I do not understand why all this stuff is happening to me. And, and, and so, uh, uh, I just think of 1 Corinthians chapter 30. It says, of God, or by God, you are in Christ who has become for you wisdom. So in Christ, in Christ, you are wise. You have received wisdom in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 also says that, uh, that no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of, of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we may know the things that we have been freely given by God. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit for their foolishness of him, but he who is spiritual judges all things. In Christ, there's an enormous amount of wisdom, but he is, this is, Jesus hasn't come yet. He does not have the Holy Spirit in him. He's saying, man, you can go beneath the earth and find, after an incredible amount of trouble, find diamonds and sapphires but where's wisdom? Verse 12. Where's understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be purchased with gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. But we can have it in Christ. God made you, in the First Corinthians chapter 1, in Christ, and He is your wisdom. Verse 16, It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living. This is Job the natural man speaking. And concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our eyes. God understands its way and He knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and a portion of the waters by measure when he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt. He saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man, he said, Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And depart from evil is understanding. And so the, right at the very end of the chapter here, he comes forth with a jewel which is the fear of the Lord that is wisdom so again it's like stream of consciousness he goes from the man of the flesh to a man of the a man who's hearing from the spirit and he's saying we don't have any wisdom we don't have any access to it but then all of a sudden he blurts out behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom and apart from evil is understanding. 